My name is Andrew, and I'm the campus minister with Impact. Uh, and I've been working with the students with students at IDPY since 2013. That's when we launched. We were very small. We started with one small group with like five students. And so you've seen what God has done. And it hasn't been me. Uh, those of you who know me, you know exactly what that's all about. It's been all God and all of his glory. We started at a little bitty informational meeting at Plainfield Christian Church actually in 2013. So I have a wife named Samantha. I've got a six-year-old girl named Tinley and a three-year-old boy named Graham. And uh, they are awesome. I should have a picture, but I don't. I think I do on other th things. Uh, anyway, so if you, if you didn't know uh, yet, we are all about pursue, model, teach. I just want to say real quick about that. Um, you're maybe wondering what that is all about. And all that means is that our first priority with you as a student, as a child of God, even if you're not a Christian here tonight, you're just kind of checking things out, is to pursue Jesus. When I have my meetings with my bosses, the National Organization of Impact, the first question they ask me is, how is your pursuit of God? They don't say, how many people came to the first night of worship? They say, have you been pursuing God? And if the answer is no, they deem me as a failure <laughs> because that is my number one priority, and it should be your number one priority. And so I love that you're here. I love that you're going to be involved in our life groups. I love that when you're... Some of you are going to bring your roommates and friends to Jesus. We said that the last first night of worship, we cast that vision over everybody. You know, reach out to those around you. We had someone baptize their roommate, and we had a lot of really cool things happen. Um, not in the nap, but uh, close by. Um, but uh, so that's our very first thing is to pursue God. And if we're not doing that, uh, if I'm not doing that, I'm a, I'm a phony. I'm a fraud, okay? And I, just so you know, I was in the middle of my day, and I hadn't uh, had my daily Bible reading yet, and I looked at my in intern, Ethan, and I said, well, better start living what you're preaching, boy, you know? So I had to stop, and I had to, I had to, I had to get into the Word right then, okay? Because that's our top priority as an organization. And then the modeling and the teaching just comes naturally. When you pursue Jesus, you will model him, and you will teach that to other people. It's that simple. Okay, so this semester we're going to be working our way verse by verse through the book of Daniel. And Daniel and his three friends were taken in, into enemy territory, Babylon, uh, a long time ago, right? Uh, 586 B.C. is when they destructed Jerusalem. But these guys, these um, 50 to 75 select guys were taken into captivity uh, around 605 B.C. Now, we love IUPUI, and we believe that everyone... Everyone on this campus, I don't care who it is on this campus, I don't care if you don't like them, I don't care if they're me, that God created everyone on this campus with an incredible amount of worth. Do you believe that? They created everyone on campus with an incredible amount of worth. But at the same time, we know and recognize that if we really want to follow Jesus on this campus, we will not blend in. We will stand out. And for some of us, it makes us uncomfortable. <laughs> And, and we will actually face people that do not want to see that happen, okay? So we're just right up front. Everybody on this campus has worth. I love so many people on this campus that don't agree with anything that I say, and I don't agree with anything they say. But I believe that they have an incredible amount of worth, and I love them. And um, so I just want to say this right off the bat. We don't want to be belligerent in Babylon, nor do we want to be belittled or 
to shrink in Babylon. So those are the two extremes that we see a lot of times. Either you're just running your mouth all the time and making people mad, or you don't say a word. That's not, either way is not what Jesus has asked us to do at IUPUI, I believe. But we do want to believe in Babylon. We do want to gain influence in Babylon. We do want to love in Babylon. We do want to serve in Babylon. And we want many to follow Jesus as a result of us being in Babylon. So, uh, believing in Babylon tonight begins with, (laughs) this is going to be hard for some of you to catch, but begins with believing that God has you right where he wants you. So Nathan's going to just open up and share a little bit. This is Nathan, our student president. This is Liz, our vice president of uh, service. So just so you know who they are. All right, so like he said, I'm Nathan Cunningham. Uh, This is my junior year here, so I've been with Impact now for two full years, going on my third year. And um, there are a lot of people that I don't know here. A lot different than last year. I'm happy to see it. We got a lot of new faces. Um, Everyone that's been here already has done a great job at reaching out. Andrew's done a great job with reaching out to the freshmen and our whole leadership team. And it's really cool to see how you guys have grown. I just wanted to talk a little bit. Um, this study that we're about to do on believing in Babylon, uh, you know, you may have had a point in your life where you felt like you were in a place like Babylon, um, like the Israelites were. I know for me, my Babylon experience, and that sounds really Christian cliche, but go along with me with it, um, was the first day here at IUPUI. I know some of you, it was awesome coming to college. You loved it, so many new things, so many new experiences. For me, I was homeschooled for 18 years, and <laughs> um, and I was a church boy. So pretty much my social experience was on the golf course. I'm on the men's golf team as well, and uh, uh, also homeschooled, so hanging out with my mom a lot. And uh, <laughs> um, coming here was a huge change for me and I think the hardest part was just coming here and not feeling like you necessarily belong to something I was on the men's golf team but you know immediately being a Christian set me as an outsider and I was different than them so didn't feel like I belonged there Um, I was in a dorm full of a bunch of people that I didn't know with a roommate who was bringing girls over when I told him not to so that was a completely uncomfortable situation as well. And all these different things that God just pulled me out of my comfort zone. I felt completely alone. It was a really tough time for me. Um, but it was interesting how, I know probably a lot of you can relate, when you feel the most alone or when God is testing you the most is usually when you feel him the closest to you. Um, and one of the deciding points for me When you come to college, you come to a crossroad um, for all you freshmen of, uh, do you want to live out your faith or do you want to walk away? Um, And mine was the first night on campus. Um, Me and my roommate uh, went to our golf course to practice to get a feel for it. And we got a text from some of our teammates saying, hey, come come and hang out at our apartment. You know, we want to get to know you guys. Ends up being a college party. I'm handed alcohol, right? So I walk in the door and... From that moment, it was like, well, 
I could go and do what all my other peers are doing and blend in and, you know, just follow them. Or I could stand out, say no, um, and be different, which was not the popular choice for sure. Uh, not drinking alcohol does not get too popular in those settings. So I, uh, I asked for an Arnold Palmer <laughs> and uh, hung out there for a little bit um, and then went back home and called my brother. I was like, dude, this sucks. <laughs> but um, over, over that semester, God, God pulled a lot of people into my life um, faster than I expected, um, who I'm still, I mean, great friends with. I know they're going to be lifelong friends. Andrew being one of them, who um, not only pulled me through that time, but um, now we enjoy a great friendship and, you know, great mentorship. We meet, Andrew and I meet every week, and uh, it's been invaluable. So, you know, even for you, if it's, you know, your freshman year, you're struggling, I know how you feel. If that isn't the case for you, you know, when you came to IUPUI, you will have that at some point in your life um, where God takes you out of your comfort zone. Um, don't run away from that. I think that's the point where you're going to grow most. So, Liz is also going to share about her experience coming to IUPUI. So my experience is a little different from Nathan's. I was not homeschooled. I went to a very large public high school on the east side of Indianapolis. So IUPUI wasn't that far from me, and I thought it would feel like home. Um, so I, when I came to college, I was not a practicing Christian. I had been raised going to church, but I never really knew God personally. It was just what you did on Sunday. My mom, it made my mom happy. It made my grandma happy. So everybody went to church. Um, and I didn't really know what it was to be a Christian or to know God. So I didn't understand religion and until I came to college. And it happened because everything was stripped away from me. In high school, like, people knew my name. I was successful. I was president of a lot of clubs, like, doing very, very well. And I came here, and all of a sudden, none of that was true. Classes were hard. <laughs> I had to study for the first time. Who knew? Um, and so I was trying so, so hard to get into nursing school that I, like, forgot everything else. Like, that was my focus. And so I kind of lost sight of who Liz was. And so I had that choice of who am I going to be in college. And a lot of you who are freshmen or upperclassmen, every day you get to make that choice. Who am I going to be this year? And it doesn't have to be who you were last year. But for me, that was like a really hard decision to figure out who I was going to be. And luckily, God put in my life a lot of very strong Christians. And for a long time, I was like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> They're kind of weird. And um, like Nathan. <laughs> and so I wasn't coming to Impact. All my friends were here. But I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. And then finally I took that leap of faith. I was like, heard there was free food. I'll be there. Um, so <laughs> that was kind of my experience. And since that day, since I got plugged in here, since I started living in that truth of knowing that I am first and foremost a child of God, and that is my identity first and foremost. That is when I started living out my truth. I was happier. I was more successful. And all around, like, ask any of my family, any of my friends from high school, I was not the same person that I was before. 
And so that was a really exciting thing to know that IUPUI is not my home. This world is not my home. My home is waiting for me. And so I hope, though, that while you're here on this earth and waiting for kingdom come, I hope that you can find a home here at Impact and something that makes you feel a little closer to your true home. Thank you, guys. All right, so we're going to, if you got your Bible, some of you have print Bibles, which is awesome. I like to write things in my Bible that no one will be able to read in 20 years. Um, but uh, if you got that, we're going to start Daniel chapter 1. And this is what our life groups are going to do, too. We're very exegetical. It just means that we're going to try to stay as close to the text and what it means as possible. So we're going to do that tonight. So Daniel chapter 1, verses uh, 1 and 2. Uh, Liz, you want to read that for us? During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Jer- Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Okay, so this is the craziest part almost of the entire book of Daniel, and it makes me like a little upset. Uh, because when you read it, you immediately think um, you know what's going on, uh, but you don't actually. And it says the it literally says the Lord gave him Nebuchadnezzar victory over King Jehoiakim. Now, Jing, uh, Jehoiakim was the king of Judah during a time when king after king was re- was rejecting God as king, and this finally led to Jerusalem being taken over by the Babylonians. And so for the Israelites, it felt like God had abandoned them. This is like the craziest verse ever that a pagan king, God gave him victory over God's people. Doesn't that seem just odd when you read it right off the bat? And, um, and so I, I think one of the things that we, we have to realize is that when we're in Babylon, rules don't seem like, like it's working how it should, you know. And so for the Israelites, they were in this really dark time um, because their leadership and their their whole nation had walked away from everything that they were. And uh, so let's keep, let's keep reading uh, Daniel one three through five. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. So bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families brought to the Babylon as captives. So the description of these young men is pretty much Nathan. It's not me, right? I am, I am not strong, even though my name means strong and manly. Someone, uh, one of us had that conversation night already. And, and healthy, good-looking, gifted with knowledge and judgment. I'm not sure about that one, Nathan, but uh, you almost made it. Um, but the Babylonians chose, sorry, the Babylonians chose the best young leaders um, in their initial siege. There was something that happened, and Nebuchadnezzar, he had to just jet out, and he couldn't completely destruct Jerusalem at that time. And since he couldn't have that whole time, he took these select 
men to Babylon. And, and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael uh, were taken into captivity. And so the Babylonians, they chose these best, these best of the young leaders in Israel. And so Daniel and his friends were probably taken when they were 14 years old. Can you imagine that? And, by, and then they went, went through this three-year training period in Babylon, which would have made them around 17 years old. And it would have been easy for them at this point to think that God had abandoned them, right? God gave the enemy victory. I don't think I'm going to be worshiping that God anymore, right? Can you imagine placing yourself in these four, their, their situation? And they're pr- pretty much all alone, and apparently the rest of their buddies, their brothers, did not have the same experience in Babylon as they did. Uh, apparently they blended right in, but these four seemed to not care much about what everybody else is doing. And so this is just amazing. Let's keep reading verses uh, six, and se- 6 and 7. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food. Oh, that's an experience. He was determined, so you should have said that. All right, so these guys were the, the ones chosen, and these are the main characters of the entire book of Daniel, especially the first six chapters, and then Daniel starts having some wild visions, and we're going to get to that later too, and it's going to be such a good semester study for us. So let's just go what their names mean, and you're gonna, if you're in a life group, you're going to go over this maybe tomorrow morning at 745 if you're in that life group. We can't keep you out too late. You got to go to bed. Get up for life group, Okay. Um, so Daniel's name means, in, in the Hebrew, means God is my judge, and his name was changed. Now, all throughout the book of Daniel, they, you know, we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego by their Babylonian names, but for some reason we don't know Daniel by his Babylonian name. We just know him by his Hebrew name. That's how much influence Daniel had uh, in the Babylonian government. Um, but it says his name meant God is my judge. His Babylonian name may Bel protect. You see what, what's happening here? Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. Shadrach, uh, command of Aku. Uh, Mishael, who is what God is? Meshach, who is what Aku is? So it's just going back and forth here. Azariah, the Lord has helped. Abednego, servant of Nebo. So Essentially, what is happening here, they're taking their names and what their, their names meant so much in their Hebrew culture. It pretty much, you know, they, they would try, it was a defining moment of who you were, and they pretty much were taking their entire identity away from these guys. And so Daniel's name means is God is my judge. And here's the cool thing. I don't know if you knew this about Impact, but we have artists. And if you saw Kate Starr, she was painting up here. Uh, she's still painting. She's doing a great job. And so we, we have art students, and Ryan jokes, he says, uh, this is a really weird uh, thing to put in the middle of this message, but um, so we want to send uh, you guys home with a, a print of something that Kate uh, painted and drew, uh, which says, God is my judge. And this is how much, here, give that to that side, and let me, I don't know how it's going to, all right, there you go. And I think we have enough for everybody here. Just take one and pass it around until everybody gets one. But this is the thing we really want uh, to stress tonight and throughout this entire semester. Um, when his name means God is my judge. And so 
When you read through Daniel and you know that about his name, everything makes sense. Everything makes sense um, because he didn't fear the opinions and judgments of others. And all of us in this room fear the opinions and judgments of others, right? Unless you're some, some kind of amazing that I haven't met yet, most of us really, really have a hard time fearing the opinions and judgments of others, caring what people think. He knew God's take uh, was more important than anyone else's take on how the world works. That's what he believed. That's what he believed, that God was his judge, not Nebuchadnezzar, not Belshazzar, not Darius, any of the ones that he was serving under. He knew that they weren't in charge. And you know, he knew that they weren't in charge and get proof because they couldn't ever completely know what was going on. And so how much different would your life look if, if you constantly kept God as my judge at the forefront of your mind? I want Nathan to read uh, Galatians 1.10 for us. It's a great verse on this. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Okay, Liz has uh, read the other one, so spoiler alert. <laughs> it's all right. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, he, did, he determined he was not going to defile himself. And so Daniel stood firm. He went through three years of this um, indoctrinization of the Babylonian culture. He was taken away from his home. Everything, and he's like, I, I am not defiling myself. They did their very best to try to take him away. Um, there's th other things that people believe about Daniel. I'm going to say it tonight because it's a little bit gross, but, I mean, he was stripped of everything um, that was comfortable with him. He was 17 years old. Try to think of what it was like when you were 17 years old. What were you like? Some of you are 17, aren't you? Some of you, somebody? Uh, but... A lot of you are 18. Uh, think about yourself at 18. I was complaining about basketball referees and complaining about tornadoes in Oklahoma. That's what I was doing. So I, I had no business trying to stand up to the most powerful leader in the known world, which is what Daniel did uh, at this time. It's just amazing what he did. And so what we want to do tonight, the key to really believing in Babylon, like we said, is, is that God has you right where he wants you. Now, if you're in an abusive family or abusive situation, uh, I'm not talking about that. We'll get you out of there soon. Just let us know, right? Um, but as far as your location, being at IUPUI, he has you right where he wants you. And I think that's what the devil wants to, and I'm looking at one of our nursing majors down here who took med surge two last semester, and it caused her to doubt everything about being a nurse. It's like, I don't think I'm supposed to be a nurse. And she's almost done. And she's awesome. And she's going to be a great nurse. But that's what the devil tries to do. He tries to discourage us uh, when we get into a certain situation. But God has you right where he wants you. And so we want to just go through the four names that are mentioned here and then just share a little bit about uh, what's going on in these names and maybe in our lives. And, and Nathan and Liz are going to share a couple more stories, and then we'll wrap up. But the first name is Daniel, God is my judge. And we just said this, and I'm just going to re re repeat it. But let me ask this question. Do I really care most about what God thinks of me, or do I care most about what others think of me? Wow. Not that I don't care about what people think about me. I do. 
but I care most about what God thinks about me. I don't think it's like, uh, I don't care what they think. Well, yeah, you do, and that's not bad to care about what they think about you. But the problem comes when we start caring more about what they think of you than what God thinks about you. Um, I don't worship others. (laughs) That's what Daniel essentially saying. I worship God. So many people in the Bible have their stories littered with mistakes, and the Bible pulls no punches about weird stuff that happened in people's lives. That's how the Bible, that's one of the ways you know the Bible's true, because nothing is left out, literally nothing. Some of our most storied heroes of the Bible were absolute messes, right? We went through an entire entire semester of, of David's life last year, and he was a mess. He was a mess. And God used him to do amazing things. And then we come to Daniel's life. His name means God is my judge. What do we have on Daniel? What dirt do we have? You search through the pages. You're looking for what? What's the scandal with him? Moses killed a guy and buried him in the sand and ran away for 40 years. Um, you know, David sleeping with someone that's not his wife. Uh, is actually his, one of his best friend's wife. Uh, you know, we got all these crazy things that have happened in the Bible And then we come to Daniel, and he doesn't seem to have made that major mistake that ruined his life. How? Had had to do something with being in Babylon. And uh, we'll get to that here in a little bit. Nathan, how about you share about Hananiah? God is gracious. So this one is going to be tough for me just because trying to summarize essentially a three-year story in five minutes or less. Um, some of you know this, who know me, uh, especially this past summer, was tough for my family. Um, I want to rewind back to 2015. Um, October 3rd, my sister was getting married, and uh, we were having to do all the, you know, the rehearsal, figure out who's going to go when down the aisle, all that stuff. Um, trying to figure out who was going to walk with my mom. Well, at that time, she had been experiencing some issues walking, so we didn't really think much of it. Me and my brother were like, all right, we'll just both walk on each side of you, make sure we keep you steady, you know, um, and get you down. So that all went well. Didn't think much of it. My mom still had some problems. Uh, You know, we were thinking, oh, maybe it'll get better eventually. Well, three years later now, especially this summer, things have gotten horrible for her. essentially can't walk, can't really leave the house. Um, A few weeks ago, I found out towards the end of my summer break that my mom now has MS, and it's progressive MS, not not relapse MS. So essentially, there is no, outside of a miracle, um, getting better for a short period of time. It's consistently getting worse. Um, So for her, it's her left leg, and Essentially, she has a walker. My dad is pushing her around in a wheelchair. Um, and it's hard to see that when, you know, she's not old at all. Um, so for me, I'm very much someone who, in the midst of busyness and craziness, I'll be fine. I'll do whatever I need to do, but I'll kind of internalize my feelings. So towards it got, as it got towards the end of the summer, all of it kind of started to hit me um, and just realizing, you know, why does this person who literally God has worked so much in my life and in other people's lives through, why is she going through this? And I see all these people, you know, who are fine. 
Um, and I won't ever get that answer. Um, but at the same time, that's okay. Because I know that through this, she's not only touching a lot of people, but it's a daily motivation even for my you know, siblings and I. Like, you know, if I'm ever complaining about a bad day at class, it's like, well, at least I can walk to class. And that's, that's serious. Um, so it's been, there have been a lot of people that have been coming around my family. Um, I know God has been very present um, in my family's life and helping us work through this and just getting us connected to the right people. Um, but it has been tough just seeing the person who is always most hopeful and, um, you know, excited about life to see them saying they just need hope. Um, and that was difficult, and that caused all of us to have to step up. Um, for my mom and my younger sisters um, and everything. So I especially relate um, with this name, God is gracious, that, you know, like Second Corinthians 12, 9 says, God's grace is sufficient, that his power is perfected in weakness. I can't help her through this. Um, keep my, you know, help her through this, do all the other things that I need to do, and that's okay. Because um, even though I can't, he's going to help me through that. Um, all I need to do is just admit that I can't. Um, so, and I, when I was thinking about Nathan's situation a few weeks ago, I was reading this book. Um, it's an easy read by Dallas Willard, of course. Um, I just want to share this quote with you because I immediately thought of Nathan and I immediately thought of Daniel. And it says this: "The transformation of the inner being is mu- is as much or more a gift of grace as is our justification before God. Of course, neither." One is wholly passive. To be forever lost, you need only to do nothing. Just stay your course. But with reference to justification and transformation, boasting is excluded by the law of grace through faith. In fact, we consume the most grace by living a holy life in which we must be constantly upheld by grace not by continuing to sin and repeat, repeatedly forgiven, the interpretation of grace is having to do with guilt is utterly false to biblical teaching and renders spiritual life in Christ unintelligible. And the thing that really hit me, we consume the most grace. Who consumes the most grace? The blatant sinner who doesn't even try? Or is it the one who's trying to live the holy life like Daniel? Think about this. Daniel consumed so much grace, and that's how he was able to believe in Babylon. Um, so uh, the, the third one, we're running out of time, of course. Mishael, who, who, who is what God is? And um, if your name is Michael, anybody's name Michael? This is you, man. <laughs> this is the Hebrew version of you. Uh, who is what God is? I have looked, I have investigated, I have studied, I have listened, and there is no God like our God. Amen? Amen. Aside from the data and the historical integrity of our faith, which we have more on our side than any other religion on earth, if I just say that right out, just the idea that God would send his only son to die for my sin, there can be no God like our God. Michael. That's you. All right. Azariah, last but not least. So Azariah means the Lord who has helped. And in my life, I think my own personal Babylon 
that is a continuing ongoing struggle for me has been my family dynamic. Um, I come from a broken home. My father left. He was an abusive alcoholic. And so I lived a life where I was never good enough for my dad. Um, so my whole life I felt I was never good enough. I would never amount to anything, but I kept trying so hard. I was excelling in school so that maybe he would be proud of me. I was joining all these clubs so maybe he would proud of me, be proud of me. I tried sports. That one didn't work out for me. <laughs> so, I mean, if you know me, don't toss me a ball. Don't do it. Um, so essentially, I was trying to do something to stand out, to be different, but instead I was doing all of the wrong things. I didn't realize that I was already loved. I didn't realize that there was more success and glory planned for me than I could ever imagined. I didn't realize that I already had self-worth. I was trying to put that in somebody else. And I realized that even though my earthly father wasn't there for me and I stopped trying to make him proud of me, I found a heavenly father that already was all of those things. He was proud of me. He loved me unconditionally. I didn't have to do anything to earn that love because you are given love. It is not earned. It is given outright. And I think when you realize that you are loved, you are important, and that you have worth, then like you can amount to so many other things that I didn't know was po were possible. I didn't know the plans that the Lord had in store for me because mine were way too small when I was trying to impress somebody else. So when you stop trying to help yourself, which I have done for many, many years, and let the Lord help you and push, put your trust in the Lord instead of my own willpower, there are so many possibilities. And this verse, Psalms 94, 17. Unless the Lord had helped me, I would soon have settled in the silence of the grave. And I think that's so true in so many of our lives. Unless the Lord had helped me, I blank. And I know all of us can fill in that blank unless the Lord had helped me. And that is something that I will continue to fill out every single day when I'm struggling in Babylon. Because we'll all find our own personal Babylon and know that on the other side of it, unless the Lord had helped me. Man. All right, so we're out of time. I'm just going to tell you one quick story, and then I'm going to tell you a quote. So this is a, I call him my Hispanic cowboy, okay? This, this is the only thing that I have left of my childhood right here, other than myself, of course, and my parents, okay? I have no other possessions. I have no T-shirts, nothing. This is it. And it sits on my desk every day and stares at me. He's kind of, kind of a cool guy. He's about to shoot. He has one, one gun, I guess. Not two. Lame. Okay, when I look at this guy, you know what I think? I think of home. Okay? Daniel was taken from home. He was in a place where he was not comfortable. He was in a place where he didn't know very, very many people, didn't know anybody very well, but he knew that he was going to stay faithful to God. And I think a lot of you have kind of wandered in here tonight, and I don't, need, I don't know half of you, but uh, I think you maybe look at this, this little cowboy here. 
And I, I hope that impact can be a home for you. And it's not going to be coming once a month to our, our nights of worship. Maybe it will be. But I think it'll be getting in a life group and getting to know people and live life with people. To really get to know people and, and find home. And to know that the very beginning of believing in Babylon is to know that God has you right where he wants you. Okay? Even if you don't feel like it right now. Check out this quote from Chuck Swindoll. Not what you thought I was going to do. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude, of, of attitude on life. Attitude, to me, is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance. Sorry, Nathan. Uh, <laughs> giftedness or skill. <laughs> it, will, it will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play on the one string that we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I will react to it. And so it is with you. We are, we are in charge of our attitudes. I hope you're ready to believe in Babylon with us this semester. You ready? Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, close in prayer and we'll be done. Thank you for hanging with us. Father, thank you so much for tonight. God, thank you uh, for Jesus. Um, thank you for the things that Nathan and Liz shared. They're so powerful and speak to the reality of who you are. God, you want to do more than we could ever ask, think, imagine. And we've had so many people praying for tonight, and we can see it all across the room, what you're, what you're doing uh, through those prayers. God, would you please do a great work this semester? Would you just blow our socks off? Would you just teach us more of your heart and who you are? God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross. And by his death, by his wounds, we are healed, and we cling to that tonight. I want to pray if anybody in this room has not made Jesus the Lord of their life, they have not confessed him as their Lord and Savior, they have not repented of their sins, they have not been baptized, God, I pray that they would take good thought to all those things, <laughs> all that progression of faith that you command us to do initially. But God, you've got our attention, and we're going to pay attention this semester, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for coming tonight.